you need to focus on what you're doing right now. Quit worrying about the other stuff. If you do what you love and you do it the best you can, you will succeed. And remember, it takes 10 years to do anything right. It's going to take 10 years to get anywhere stable. So stop expecting to be able to pay your loans the first year out. From Hamster Wheel Publishing, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. Today's episode marks a very big milestone on the Blunt Dissection pathway as we reach our two-year and 24th episode birthday. I'm not sure that's a a word. Uh, Apologies to the English language for that abuse. Anyway, we needed a big episode and I am thrilled to say that my guest, Dr. Bree Montana, absolutely nailed it. Dr. Montana, or Brie as I can now call her since we're blunt section besties, gained her doctorate in veterinary medicine from Ohio State University. After graduation, she worked in emergency hospitals before moving into general practice and eventually practice ownership where much of her real learning began. Safe to say the road was a bit bumpy. Outside of her practice, Brie has served as a member of UC Davis's College of Veterinary Medicine's External Advisory and Admissions Boards, is a past board member of the VIN Foundation and somehow finds time to act as the director of the VIN Foundation's Vets for Vets programs, a place where vets struggling with a range of physical, emotional and psychological problems receive much needed support. She is also in high demand as a speaker on the subject of caregiver compassion fatigue. Now, just before we jump into the episode, I want to drop a quick word from today's show sponsor, which is my brand new Vetex Leaders Training Group. If you are a manager or owner of a vet practice and people are your biggest problem, then Vetex Leaders is designed for you. As a member, you will learn how to build a high-performing team based on three vital areas. Recruitment of the right people, daily management of those people, and leadership skills. This is a unique deep dive into the world of high performance, and I will be your personal mentor throughout. There will be teaching, mentoring, and access to all of the templates and frameworks I've used to run successful vet hospitals around the world over the past decade. So if that sort of training would improve your practice performance, then head to vetexleaders.com to learn learn more and if you use the promo code podcast you'll get 10% off back to Dr. Bree hers is a story of work struggle and ultimately balance and joy there's something for everyone who ever dared to pull on a white coat and throw a stethoscope around their neck and I hope for some of you this episode is going to change everything in a very good way so without further preamble I present to you my interview with the amazing Bree Montana so once again in San Diego, the sun is setting. It's uh, illuminating the conference center behind here. I must give a little shout out to the Hotel Omni because they are very good at giving me a little booth. And how wonderful it is to be back in California. The show is coming to us sort of sponsored by, for the first time ever, by Red Wine. Like this is <laughs> yeah. the first ever podcast. My favorite sponsor, second only to tequila. <laughs> I can't imagine what blunt dissection on tequila would sound like. It would be spectacular. <laughs> it would be spectacular. So that voice you're listening to is the voice of the glorious, wonderful, and uh, acoustically acoustically rich Brie Montana. Welcome to Blunt Dissection, Dr. Brie Montana. Happy to be here, scrubbed in, ready to go. And I have to say, I absolutely love your hair. You, <laughs> Thank like, you. So the problems with the podcast is I have to describe things to people. So Brie has this most wonderful hot pink 
like locks coming from behind her ears. It's and natural. It's, it's, it's all natural. <laughs> it's great. So my gray is also natural. Well, it is so kind of hot, so that's nice. <laughs> We're going to get on fine, I think. <laughs> so Brie, I'm, I was really excited. We are both speaking at Fetch yeah. here in San Diego. And we tried to connect in Kansas City. And I wanted to connect with you. And I think it'll become obvious to the listeners why as we go through our conversation. Because I was just fascinated by the topics that you and you are presenting this year at Fetch. Thank We're going to come on to that in a little moment. But I think for the purposes of everybody listening, for the people that have not heard of, of Dr. Bree, why don't you give us the backstory? Like, let's all fall in love with Dr. Bree. Like, what? Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Um, well, <laughs> not, first of all, the first of many things I'll say that's ridiculous. Let me see. I'm super grateful that you haven't heard of me because most of what I've done is not good. <laughs> um, but nowadays, now the things that I'm doing, I, I'm fine with. Um, <laughs> there's a whole podcast there. We'll just dig back. <laughs> there's like a, a novel. Um, okay, so I've been practicing for many years. I graduated in 92, and I sort of had the classic trajectory, you know, worked for lots of different uh, small animal hospitals. My first practice experience was spectacular. I was uh, six months pregnant when I graduated, and I was hired by a wonderful woman who was um, also very pregnant and immediately had who had to lay down and couldn't practice. And wow. so it was me and a receptionist who had a smoking habit, and um, <laughs> I swear to God. So you'd smoke um, out the front, you'd yes. hail a thin in the back. <laughs> yes. It was, you yes, were lifting absolutely. heavy stuff. Oh my God. Okay. Classic moment from my first job. No blame, no gel to the people that like hired me. They're spectacular. Nobody wanted to hire me. I was, you know, clearly pregnant. Doing a spay on a Dalmatian. The receptionist is out front having a smoke break. It's me in the anesthesia machine and I drop a pedicle. And I, my daughter's swimming in my stomach. I can look down and see like this horrible situation going on with things moving around. The blood, the red tide is coming up. Um, I called. I was really cool about it. I'm certain in retrospect. Uh, scream for the receptionist. Have her call the owner who's at another hospital across town who says, you're just going to have to deal with it. Put your finger on it. And so... That's what I did. Um, but for years, I was like horrified of space. Nowadays, I go in with scuba gear. I love surgery. But were you horrified for years after that yes. experience? Yeah. Yeah, that was really, that was a no bueno experience. That's a truly traumatic moment. Oh, yeah. I'm amazed. Like, you could have easily just, with, with the adrenaline and cortisol oh. spike, oh. I'm surprised you just didn't deliver. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's where my daughter has so many problems today. Just kidding. <laughs> She's awesome. <laughs> That's why my daughter no, now has rainbow daughter. hair. <laughs> Don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Nowadays, when I'm practicing, honestly, if I have a twinge of nerves, I remind myself, it's just that Dalmatian coming back to bite me in the ass once again, which Dalmatians will do. <laughs> we certainly will. So where was the practice? Where was the, maybe go back, like what drew you into veterinary medicine? And then tell me, like, where was your practice? And so, and where was this happening in Planet America? Sure, sure. Um, so I grew up in Newport Beach and it's not typical for Newport Beach. I had every, I had possums and ducks and ravens and I lived in an environment where that was not tolerable, but I was that guy. And I just, I loved animals so much. And I also really, I really love science. Yeah. I really love kind of the idea of learning something new. Even now, I every year set myself something new to learn, you know, something that I don't always necessarily accomplish, but I certainly try to challenge myself that way. Where did way. your love of science and animals come from? I think I love animals because 
there was a soft place to fall for me. My childhood was not the most soft and fabulous, and I and yep. I promised myself I wouldn't talk about my family. Yep. <laughs> it was a rough part for me, and I think a lot of us who go into veterinary medicine, we are kind of looking for a soft place to fall. I had heard, and please push back or you know say if you don't want to talk about anything like this, but I think you make a, a pertinent point about like lots of people will retreat into veterinary medicine, and I particularly mm. heard in the the technician nurse role where from some form of abusive past or or relationship or something happening a tough stuff happening because the animals are predictable don't have that sort of interaction with us i think it was sean mcveigh didn't publish some work but did some research work into the incidents of so i'm working with dr eric gentry who's is one of the guys on the forefront of compassion fatigue studies and therapy for compassion fatigue and he finds that so many of us in the helping profession across the board from you know physicians um, nurses psychiatrists psychologists all the way through our animal profession a lot of us are kind of going into healing to heal our own wounds. I accept that as a given, and I figure that probably there are three people that aren't damaged in the world. I haven't met all of those three people. (laughs) Life's a contact sport, right? Yeah. Like, who doesn't have... We all have stuff going on all the time. No one person has that monopoly on that situation. In some ways, I always find that a comforting thought. I saw a quote from my football team, my soccer team, Celtic, team based in Glasgow, uh, best team in the in Glasgow. In the world. You say that for sure. You say that with certainty <laughs> that they're the best team in, in Glasgow. Glasgow. And the manager was a chap called Martin O'Neill and his wife became quite sick, lymphoma. And he ended up retiring out of that role to look after. And I remember seeing a quote, and I was going through some really challenging stuff in my life at the time. And I remember seeing a quote from him and he was asked a question by a journalist about the, the issue. And he said, look, I don't have a monopoly on bad times. We all have to go through these things. They're just tests. And that's sort of alluding to the life being a contact sport. But I think that's, this is, I, I wanted to speak a bit later about compassion fatigue, but I suspect sure. we could probably spend most of our conversation talking about it. So let's dive into it. Okay. Uh, let me also say that I agree that it's comforting that we all have skin knees. Yeah. And one of the things that I find is most helpful to the people that I'm working with that are having a really hard time is that it it's universal. It's not going to damage your whole world. It's, it's going to inform your world and it's going to be, make you stronger. I like to think of us as becoming spiritually wide right. when we, and I'm so wide. Like when bad things are happening, I'm thinking, you know, nowadays I can look back because I've been doing this for a long time. Right. And nowadays when something really difficult and dark and bad is happening in my world, I say, I know that maybe not tomorrow, maybe not for a couple of tomorrows, but there's going to be a day when I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel light again. And I'm going to feel positive again. And I just hold on to the fact that I know that that's in my future. Because when it's not in my present, I don't despair. I just say, sucks so bad right now. I'm going to embrace the suck. I'm going to just kind of get in there. And and I know that it's eventually going to get better. All right. This is rich pickings for us, this, yeah. I think, Bree. So let's talk first of all. So there's a few buzzwords around. And you know, there's always something, a hot topic for people to be talking about. And compassion fatigue resilience. Sure. These things are inextricably linked. First of all, can you provide me with a working definition of what compassion fatigue is? Is it a good name? Is it the right name? Okay, so this is really confusing, but here's the skinny on it. There's burnout, 
and there's compassion fatigue. Yeah. I liken compassion fatigue to PTSD. Right. And I will speak to people. Uh, I speak to like 350 plus people a, a year. I, I'm averaging like 35 people a month that yep. I'm working with. Yep. And I see running like a rich vein of gold through that earthwork. I see compassion fatigue and burnout and they intertwine. So what's burnout? Burnout is easily fixed. You're working too hard. You are forget to bring lunch. You're not taking care of your body. You're like me and maybe having too many glasses of wine at night instead of sleeping. You're not making the healthy choices that yep. we all know we should make and could make. And that's an easy fix. You know, that's you take a week off or you get a three-day weekend. You schedule back your day and you feel jubilant again. You right. feel buoyant again. Compassion fatigue requires a little bit more work to fix. Compassion fatigue is a, is a scar on your soul. And like a scar on your soul, you can heal it and make connective tissue and incorporate that score into a, a scar into a healthy, vibrant life, or it can become a non-healing wound. Right. Compassion fatigue is it's real and it requires specific steps to heal it. And that's what I'm here talking about at Fetch. I'm doing yeah. five hours tomorrow. And I'll just give you the short points so that I don't oh, you, like... You can make them as long as you like. There's <laughs> no time pressure here. I don't want to be like a commercial and say, you know, doesn't that bug the shit out of you when you're watching the news and they're like, and then in 20 minutes, we're going to tell you this. <laughs> tell me now I have to go to work. Oh my God. Well, you, should, you should tell them now because this podcast probably won't go out until the deepest, darkest winter. So it'll probably uh, be... February. Uh, well, let so me they can't you make now. you talk. Yeah, let me tell you now. <laughs> okay, here's like the short notes, and I don't have my slides to help me, so I'll just have to be knowing it. We need to communicate with each other. One of the key healing aspects to getting through compassion fatigue, which has a huge component of honest to God PTSD, is talking to colleagues. Yeah. Sharing with colleagues is huge, and you want to share in a helpful way. So you want to share in a way that is clearing and venting you, your trauma without traumatizing them okay so you want how, to do it in a safe way so how do we do that like what's because what like what's a what's an example of doing that badly and oh, what's yeah. an example of doing that better um well i'm not going to do it badly because i don't want to destroy everybody's mind but you know like when you hear a story that's too gruesome and you're like kind of traumatized by the story right and it's like well i can't watch bad movies because they're just like too terrifying yeah. to me and i get like I, don't, I get too upset like the end yeah. of the end of the world movies i just yeah. don't watch those yeah but it's like it would be like uh, you're telling a story and the story is traumatizing to the person that you're telling the story to yeah. it's too gross yeah it's too graphic yeah. it's too it maybe involves for me like babies or injuring animals that kind of thing so basically this this is like the news uh, every yeah. like the, sh the newsreel now that yeah to me feels like that's oh just a litany of pain it's like our news feed is now it's kind of it almost is numbing us and we're all kind of experiencing a tinge of compassion fatigue over what's going on in our country yeah for sure yeah so how do we vent in a safe way um, you want to make sure that the person you're going to share with is able to hear it I'll just give the quickest example I come home from work I've had a really shitty day a client that you know I just don't like that doesn't vibe me. It has been in and, and she's all over my brain um, and I'm renting space to her in my whole life. Right. And I come home and I tell my husband, like, I cannot 
fucking stand Carol Stolgren. And he says, you know, you love her. You know, you would do anything for her. And I'm like, fuck you. No, <laughs> I don't actually say that because I love my husband and it would hurt his feelings. <laughs> but he's like, doesn't get it. Or I maybe I go home and I have a really hard thing to do tomorrow. Uh, or I had a hard thing to do today. And I say, you know, I have this procedure to do tomorrow. It's, I'm really worried about it. You know, really a really a brittle patient. And I have to do a complicated surgery. Right. And the owner is a doctor, which happens all the fucking time. Right. <laughs> or a lawyer, which is the worst. And he says, you're a great doctor. You'll be fine. That is not a good vent situation for me. Because yeah. I'm not a great doctor. I'm a learning human doctor. Right. There are no great doctors. There yeah. are lucky doctors and human doctors, in my opinion. So a good vent for me would be to call my wonderful friend Lee, who yeah. I don't talk to nearly often enough. Lee, if you listen to this, I love you. Um, and say, Lee, oh my God, I have to do this like surgery on this blah, blah, blah dog. You know, I have a full mouth extraction on an 18-year-old, whatever. It has heart disease and all arthritis right. and oh. it's cushioned. Yes, it's all they going go. on. All the right. things. And Lee will go, ah, oh, fuck me. That sounds horrible. <laughs> that's a good Empathy. Bit. Yeah, that's a good event because she gets it. Yeah. Right? Right. What's right. better than somebody who gets it? Like I'm talking to someone and I'm saying, oh, my best tech just gave notice. Oh, and you know, somebody that gets it says, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You know, somebody that doesn't get it says, well, you know, they're like leaves in a stream. They flow along and they eddy with you for a while. And then they and once like, you finish vomiting on yourself. Exactly. Vomiting. So that's so that's a bad vent. So there's bad ways to actually vent that's damaging to the, to the receiver. So uh, too graphic, too gross, laying on the pain. Just, yeah. And also not being aware of the emotional state of the person right. that's receiving. So right. that's being a bad... That's being a bad venter. venter. That's like, that's shitting on them instead of venting with them. Also, hey, do you have time for this? Yeah. Um, how many times have you walked into the hospital and somebody just immediately starts to tell you their problem and you're busy having to pee? Yeah. <laughs> I walk to work. I hike to work with my huskies. So that's an hour hike. I yeah. always have to pee when I get there. <laughs> you know, or you're like, you're really trying to figure out which way do I want to do this chemo protocol? Yep. Right. How do I want to run that? Um, I need a minute to really kind of look that up and see what's current. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Right. And somebody's asking me about if they can have a refill for something. You're right. So that's even worse if somebody wants to vent to you yeah. when you're in the middle of a real heavy thought process. So, hey, um, is this a good time to chat with you? I need to vent something. And then you have the opportunity to say, hey, I can't right now, but I can in 10 minutes. I like that because that, that's drawing on the, the ways to say, you know, we all have in our head, like, you can say yes and you say no. And we feel like we're yeah. a bad team player if, if yeah. we don't say yes. But if we do say yes, we get crushed for time. And that's how we all end up completely overloaded right. with too much stuff. And that's so, hugely our problem, right? Right. Yeah. So I, I love that because that's the, well, there's, there's three other options, isn't there? There's, I can't do all of it, but I can do some of it. Right. So I can't listen to your whole life story now, but what's right. going on in your brain? Right. I can't listen to anything now, but 15 when I've got my bandwidth is right. unclogged. Can we, you can talk right. then. And go talk to Gary. Right. <laughs> he's, Gary. he's making tea. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you know, that's also a thing that we need to be able to do is say, hey, if it's about your ex-husband, I can't hear it. You know, whatever that is. You know. How do we have those conversations with compassion for mm. other people and are there some of us more 
predisposed to compassion fatigue than others. Now, you mentioned yes. sort of coming from a background of some form of trauma in any case. Yeah. Where do you see the red thread running through this? Because there's clearly a spectrum from burnout, compassion fatigue, right. to, you know, and then there's clinical depression or suicide. Sure. Okay, so, and that's that's a really good question. It's a hu- that's a huge topic. That's worth like three hours on it. Okay, 30, 30 hours on it. Um, depression and all of the complicated um, brain chemistry diseases. They are there, and they're made worse by burnout. They're made worse by compassion fatigue. That makes it harder for people that are already working with that challenge to do their job. So it behooves us to recognize our burnout, because that's the easiest one. Oh, my God. You know, it's like if you could lose 10 pounds just by drinking water, I would totally be drinking all the water. Burnout's like that. Burnout's like losing 10 pounds by drinking water. Yeah. You can fix your burnout. Recognize it. Yeah. Recognize it before you become a bitch is my job for me. Um, you know, when, I can't, when I'm too tired and I start to become snappish with my clients or my team, and my team I love so much, right. and when I'm starting to be snappish with them, that's when I really need to figure out what's going on. Is it a compassion fatigue problem? I need to see a therapist and start venting and doing all of that more heavy duty lifting and repair, or is it a burnout thing? And for me, it's typically more burnout. Um, Although I do have things that pay into my own compassion fatigue challenge, losing a patient under anesthesia, being sued by a client. These are all things that have happened in my career. That's an interesting way to describe that is your own compassion fatigue challenge. In my head, this was another bucket that you could just, that's one of the things that when it becomes a buzzword right? and people are saying that, I'm not somebody who, you know, I have a lot of energy. I've been on the path to burnout once or possibly breaking once in an early managerial mm-hmm. role. I experienced very definitely burnout for the first time in a long while after you know, I'd done a trip to India working on this huge crazy ass project out there. Mm -hmm. And I was home for one night and I got on a plane to fly out to the US. So I'd done a double bounce time zone thing. And then right after that, I flew back home. And for four days, my head was just in a big black cloud of funk. And I I just, I was just not, I didn't want to engage in anything particularly. And by Thursday, four days later, so I'd gone five hour different in time zone. Right, which is like, exhausting. Right. And it takes about five, you know, a, a day per hour. Oh, is what yeah, I've, that makes sense. I've experienced. Yeah, yeah. With, that's what they say. And that's what I generally yeah, experienced. By day four, I was like, oh, I'm back. Oh, right. thank God for that. Right. But I, I also was able to recognize and be self-aware and know, okay, you need to now just chill. Just actually give right. yourself a few it's days gonna be to do okay. nothing. It's going to be okay. And this not is a real story thing. Tell. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And not pour more petrol on this. Right. And eat well and drink well, you know, drink lots of water. Right. And start exercising again. And so that was that little experience. I've never gotten to a place where I've ever felt like I could label that with compassion fatigue. Right. Okay. So and, compassion and, fatigue is different. And I right. think that's, and, that's and, your and body that, getting that. Right. And that's where I'm sort of headed toward is your comment there. The thing that really got my attention was your brand of compassion fatigue. So mm-hmm. th- there isn't a bucket, by, by the way you said that. There isn't a bucket. There's maybe a set of symptoms or things that go with that. But maybe is it the triggers that lead to compassion fatigue? Compassion fatigue comes from seeing something that you can't unsee, yep. feeling something that you are damaged by. For example, I'm going to tell you a story that could lead to compassion fatigue in okay. some people. Yeah. Um, I was bitten in the throat by a pit bull. Whoa. You and were bitten. By- I was. Here's what happened. I was in the hospital seeing a pit bull, very sweet pit bull. She, we took her and she was sitting on the, the lifting table for scale. 
right? So we're going to yep. weigh her. She's sitting there. She's not communicating anything. She's t- she's relaxed. She doesn't have that little smile that they get. Side yeah, she doesn't eye, have a crazy eye. That, None yep. of that. She's just sitting very calmly. Suddenly, she goes from being the world's like most chill, nothing's wrong with me dog, to leaping at my throat. And so I just accidentally got lucky and tipped my chin down, and she bit me in like the bottom half of my throat and my face. Wow. Um, I was just so lucky. I was yeah. just so lucky. For many people or for some people, that would be something that wouldn't allow them to practice without kind of doing some therapy. Right. And I just got lucky because I'm stupid. I'm like, you know, been the face, got lucky. But that's the kind of thing that can create serious compassion fatigue. People yep. that have um, really bad bites, a bite to the face can really, I was lucky it wasn't disfiguring. Yeah. Um, I hope. Uh, um, Looking good. Um, I'm distracted um, by the pink hair right? a little I know, bit. That's why I'm not I have the pink hair. <laughs> Nobody I'm can kidding. tell what I really I'm look kidding. like. Um, it's not a pink beard. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I shaved. So, um, but the thing is, that kind of experience can traumatize somebody forever. And right. other people, it just kind of depends on your makeup. Uh, other people will take that and move along. So it's not about so much the numeric mathematics of the thing that happened it's how it affects you personally yeah are there things that go into creating i mean clearly there are the answer to this is going to be yes so maybe a better question is so what are the things that go into that how would you know or how would i know if i were somebody that was more at risk from suffering with this and and am i right in assuming that there is a there is a joined series of dots that goes to yes you know the really bad end of the spectrum where we Dark things happen, really bad things. Okay, so let me try to answer your question. If you are unable to be mentally present with your family and all you are with your family or your friends, the people that, if you're with the people or animals or the experience that means something to you the most in life and you're not able to participate because all you're thinking about is that thing. Right. Um, And it's not necessarily the thing that created your compassion fatigue. It's like, generally you're at work right right um all you can think about is what's going to happen tomorrow what happened today and you can't be with your family if you cannot sleep right if you're self-medicating this doesn't count (laughs) she said referring to the wine um if you're self-medicating if you're doing something illegal with drugs yeah if you're overeating if you're over gambling if you're over sexing if you're you're overdoing any of the things yeah exactly if you're doing those things then you may be one of your the causes, the etiology for your dysfunction may be compassion fatigue. If you can't listen to your clients, you go into the room and the client has an 11-year-old cat and you say, hey, looks like your cat has morbid dental disease. Let me show you. And she looks a little dehydrated. Let's do these things. And she says, well, she's 15. And you think, oh, she's only 11. The owner is now suddenly escalating her age to 15. Clearly, she doesn't want to do shit about this cat. If you go there, instead of going, oh, man, she's worried about her cat's age. Let's talk about it. Let's figure mm. out where she, what she wants for this cat. If you're going down the path that I sometimes go down when I'm just a cranky-ass bitch, and I think that you're the worst of people, then you may be suffering from compassion fatigue. I feel like that guy that does that, you might be a southerner thing. <laughs> <laughs> You might be a redneck. Yeah. <laughs> I so know Southerners are not rednecks. I'm not going to stand, stand on right <laughs> <Sorry>. now. <laughs> I guess that goes in. I enjoy my floor. visits to your country. I'm not <laughs> going to engage with that. It's a trauma that causes you to numb out from being able to engage in people yes. empathetically. It's the trauma and definition? the not properly healing it. It's not that we see trauma 
And it's not that we see grief. It's right. not that we see loss. It's not that we miss our patients, love our patients, care about our patients, can't fix all of them. Right. And the ones that we can fix and we fix them for years and years and then they're, they're just old and we right. lose them. It's not that that creates compassion fatigue. You don't get compassion fatigue from being a spectacular doctor right. and loving what you do. Right. You get compassion fatigue. I get compassion fatigue. We all do from not healing the little wounds that come along every day. All if right. you run naked through the streets... And <laughs> that was a really awfully pregnant pause there. Like, where's this podcast going? If you run naked through the streets and you fall down and get a whole body raspberry yep. and then you don't take care of yourself, that's compassion fatigue. You go to work every day and you're running naked through the streets. Yeah. You are out there. You are with your clients, helping them to figure out what they want for their pet and what they can afford. And you're finding a way to do it. You're thinking outside of the box. You're doing all the things. You're pulling your talents together. You're, you're calling people. You're figuring things out. You're making these guys' lives better. And that, if you don't respect that, vent that, heal that, then that will become compassion fatigue. You're cruising along to use a... We're sat right next to the ocean, so yeah. we might as well use this. You're cruising along in your yacht. And a seagull flies right through your sail sure. and tears a big hole. And now it's luffing and there's no power in your sail anymore. Sure. It's not the sail is broken. It just needs to catch the wind again. Exactly. So it needs oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah. Something that's beautiful. to heal it. That's beautiful. Okay. And that's we all need to catch our wind again. We all need to respect the natural trauma that comes with being a healer. Okay. So we're good at healing people, animals. Yes. We're good with medicine. We're good with numbers. We're good with data. From my observations in the exam room around the world, we lack certain of the people skills. Yeah. Certainly that's where a lot of my work is, is focused on is helping vets learn that. But we, we struggle with the person on the end of the leash. What are the triggers? Like, so something bad happens with the animal. You speak to vets all the time, like through your work with, right. with Vets for Vets right. and, and the VIN Foundation. What are the common things that trigger yeah. compassion fatigue? I felt like I was almost leading you there, so I wanted yeah. to back away from that. I'm not going to answer the question you asked. I'm going to answer an adjacent, a question adjacent. A Amazing. Question. Like you just ask four part questions and nobody has any idea why I asked the uh, answer or whatever. So go. So I want to say that when I talk to people, when I talk to my colleagues and I'm a full-time practicing solo practitioner, practice owner. Um, when I talk to folks, the number one thing that we all share is the fear that the thought that when people come into our hospital and we're diagnosing their pet with something expensive, dangerous, potentially fatal, you know, tricky, they feel like it's our fault. Mm. And we struggle with carrying the guilt and the burden of that. And I think that I think that 99.9% of the time, the people that I'm working with all of us, I think, people that I'm not working with, my best friend, we all feel like because money is associated with it, because grief is potentially associated with it, that it's our fault. We're like the we're like the messenger that's bringing the the envelope with the whatever the bad thing is that's in the right, envelope. Right, right. Um, and what I have um, learned through my own practice and through going through like times when money was really bad, um, when we had just you know the, the economy tanked in the U.S. and probably so many places. Yep. I learned that it's not about how much money you have. The money isn't a problem. It's about 
kind of getting a building a bridge to the client that the client and you can both walk out on. You have to hold that energy so that the you can walk from your side of the bridge and the client can walk out from the other side of the bridge and you can meet over that keystone in the center of the bridge and say, hey, what do we want for this dog? And yeah. I just like this week, I had this knucklehead in who doesn't believe in vaccines. <laughs> and I said, it's not like Jesus. You don't get a believer not believe in them. It's they're like real it's things. here. They're there. <laughs> they're, they're real. <laughs> don't have to do any vaccine walking on water. Um, and so my thing for him was, well, what do we need to do for your dog? You know, I I don't agree with you, but I don't have to agree with you. What I have to do is, is try to support you and your dog and your dogs and what your dog needs. Um, I, it didn't sound like that when I went back in the treatment room. It sort of sounded a whole lot blue. <laughs> but that's what we have to do, even with the difficult ones. We need to walk out to the center of that bridge. And it's always scary. I'm, I'm yeah. afraid of heights. So it's like scary in the center of the bridge. Right, right, right. But that's what we need to do. And we need to recognize it is a collaboration. It's yeah. a relationship. It's a dance. Yeah. And it's not just us doing it. We're not doing it to anybody. We're trying to figure out how we can best help them. So one of the biggest traumas, it sounds like, is us blaming ourselves for not being able to save all these itty-bitty animals 100%. that walk through our door. That, in essence, to me, is, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm so interested and wanting to have this conversation is because I don't feel like I've ever, like, I, I'm very good at compartmentalizing. Mm. Sidebar, I often wonder, ooh, is there a whole, as we were discussing this, I'm like, oh, am I just not dealing with traumas? And I'm just oh, yeah. really good at compartmentalizing some mm -hmm. things in life. But is there, let's talk about a toolkit or oh, there, yeah. is there a process? Yeah. That's and, one of my slides. Uh, right. And <laughs> and so is there, first of all, you, you've mentioned some of the red flags, but, but self-awareness clearly is a big part of healing from this, right? How do we get better at being self-aware that we have a problem or we're in a risk situation and then what is our toolkit for yeah. repair so i'll tell you that the easiest thing you can do it's free you can develop a wolf pack you can find your you can create a little wolf pack it could be um people that you went to school with it could be people that it's harder for some people to have it happen with people that are in the same area because we're so rats eating their own <laughs> um, you know we always are afraid of re we're resource garters because yep. we're worried about finances because yep. you know it's so fucking expensive to be a vet <laughs> um, it um, is. so maybe we maybe we reach out um on a through a facebook group yeah maybe we reach out um through another professional group um I, I, the closest i get to being compassion fatigued is when i'm on facebook groups I, know, I feel like man. they're traumatic oh, so many they of can them be I you know because of my running vets for vets yep. I am on some of the more challenged and emotionally delicate Facebook groups and I just can't um, follow them I have to just go there once in a while and say say hey we have this whole program it's free for every veterinarian yep. in the world it's called vets for vets you can get to me by going to the vin found uh, it's like vets letter for yep. vets at vinfoundation.org. And we'll link this up in the show notes as well. Beautiful. My team answers the phone and I'll just give you the phone number. We answer the phone every day from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. Pacific time at 530-794-8094. 530-794-8094. And so that's worldwide. So Pacific, like to where obviously we're three hours behind the East Coast here and right. we're eight hours behind UK That's so complicated. and nine for Central Europe and add another nine to ten for Australia. But you'll cover anywhere we, yeah. in the world. Hey, I've worked with people from Saudi Arabia, from yeah. Korea, from all over the world, from uh, Norway. Are the trends and the patterns and the conversations you have 
Do they differ with geography? No, they don't. We're all vets together. We're all human beings. We're all so much more alike than we are different. When I'm speaking with somebody from Saudi, uh, we have the same challenges. Uh, we have the same fears. We worry about the same things. We're just so much more alike than we are different. Let's go through our toolkit then. Yes. Okay, toolkit. Develop yourself a wolf pack. You need four people that you can be accountable to and they can be accountable to you. Okay. With your wolf pack, you want to make sure that you're always checking in to make sure it's a good time to vent. Those right. are your venting people. Right. They vent to you, you vent to them, and you make an agreement that you're going to be honest with each other and say, today's a bad day. I just had a fight with my husband. Today's a great day um, in an hour. Right. Uh, you know, so that's your, that's that. Um, you need to get outside every day. There's basic self-care. You need to get outside every day. I live in North Lake Tahoe where it's probably not as cold as it is in Wisconsin, but it's sometimes in the minuses. Yeah. And I get outside and hike with my dogs every day. Um, I walk to work. So do something like that. You have to create some aspect of your world that allows you to get outside every day. You need to do some physical exercise every day. You got to break a sweat. Okay. You need to do something that requires the use of your brain and your body. So people that play the violin or the guitar, this is perfect for your mind because hmm. it's a little bit of math and it's a little bit of movement. Yeah. So you need to do something physical that puts you in that zone. I usually start every day doing yoga with my husband before okay. we go do that. Yoga is, I'm a, the most sucky yoga partner because I talk the whole time. <laughs> and, you know, we're supposed to be like, whoa, but I'm like, what do you think about this? Blah, blah. <laughs> um, so I'm a terrible yoga person. But uh, that's a big part of it. That yoga for me is a moving meditation. You probably can't tell, but I'm a little ADHD. Um, I know I cover it up really well. Um, so yoga is as close to meditation as I might ever get. Yep. But if you can add meditation, yoga, anything like that into your life, that's key. Spirituality. So I'm not a God person. What my way of being spiritual is by being in nature. Okay. So I do a lot of outside things and that helps me to connect my body to the world and it kind of puts it all together for me. People that are religious, that's a beautiful thing for them. Yeah. Um, they get so much out of going to their spiritual, doing their spiritual practice. Yes. Yes. Um, and therapy. Every kind of therapy, all of it, every different, there are like 10 different ways of, of being therapeutic. They all work for PTSD. Okay. So if you have, P, if you're having flashbacks, yep. if you go into surgery and you break a cold sweat and you are, you just like have that horrible taste in your mouth because something bad happened to you, um, you need to do some kind of therapy about it. So that might be talk therapy, you know, cognitive therapy. This is a, an area that fascinates me because so much of what you're saying is resonating with me just now. But therapy, and, and this maybe applies more outside of the U.S., it's almost a taboo thing, particularly oh, yeah. in the U.K. Because you're from like Scotland. Therapy. We don't have mental disease. <laughs> yeah, no, therapy is a band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Scotland, you know, that, they, that's like are, if you're going therapy, then that's basically yeah. it's almost like an admission of weakness. Now I yes. think this is there's a taboo around that. Uh, uh, yeah, which I totally get that. Absolutely yeah. crazy. I was really blessed yeah. when I was young because I spent the first 16 years of my sort of adult life being married to somebody who is an addict and highly functioning, very successful emergency medicine physician. Yep. But because of that addiction that he had, we were in therapy constantly, right. which was spectacular for me because I have all these early childhood traumas and yep. I have like this, I was raised by wolves. And the therapy that I had uh, at the time, I was maybe a little resentful that he had his addiction situation. It was spectacular for me because I learned so much and I grew so much and I got so much respect for what 12-step groups can do for us. 
I will say that Vets for Vets, we have a, we have a, um, very confidential vets in recovery group for people that are in recovery from any form of addiction. Yeah. I was just lucky that I thought of that. That was great. That's something I've been most impressed about with actually since the, even since the start of my career was the licensing body's approach to yeah. addiction. Some of them are really, really holistic mm-hmm. and healing and great. Some of them suck. So you got to kind of know where you are. Right. The blessing of a dysfunctional childhood in a in a marriage that was just fucked. Um, it brought me to therapy, which was so great for me. And I think that we're so afraid of going to therapy. We think that they're going to put us on drugs. And sometimes our bodies need drugs. Right. Um, I'm lucky to not have depression. I, yep. Honestly, lucky. Just, yeah. You know, because that's all it is. Yeah. Um, but if I had diabetes, I would do insulin or yep. whatever the hell it is that we're using right. nowadays. And if I, you know, I, I think that that's science is great. Yeah. Use science. Yeah. Um, so talk therapy. There are so many different kinds of therapy. You can find one that suits you. If you can't sleep, if you're not loving your career, it's not your career because you're not going to love anything. You can't keep moving from place to place and hoping to be happy there because you keep bringing your own damn self everywhere you go. You can't run from that. You have to be happy where you are and then we'll find out if your career is good for you or not. Okay. That is a nice little moment to sidestep into another question so and that is about the next generation of vets coming through now and so certainly uh if we're talking you know millennials snowflakes whatever label and i i'm not saying labels but there is clearly a dissatisfaction a disconnection happening you know we've got a lot of information and data now uh sort of royal college of veterinary surgeons surveys saying like 50 to 55 percent maybe our people are now the job they sign up to do is not meeting their expectations right Right. we're experiencing this global shortage of trained qualified experienced doctors and our millennial generation seem less happy with the lot that they're going into than we are now partly i wonder if that is about, you know, the characteristics of this generation seem to be the instant gratification. Like, so I am, I want something, I should immediately have it because that's what I've managed with the internet, how the way right. my parents have bought me things whenever I wanted it. Mm. And this is what I want in my veterinary career. But this is not the way learning and mastery and wisdom are acquired. I do like to say this, but it's a sense that I have as well as I am an analog being in a digital world. And as much as I like the digital, it stresses the sweet Jesus yeah. out of me to yeah. be on, on one of these devices. On yeah. And so, when you said about being spiritual, for me, if I'm having a hard time, I go, I go for my three M's, movement, magnitude, and mother nature. Yeah. Always. Wait, what's magnitude? My, just so get near something that looks or like either minimize the problem visually and and then get near big stuff okay so like and i live near the ocean so you can like you, you're over your, your spirit your spirit and your senses are full of that right. not the minutiae that you're worried about right and it, it, puts, like it gives it a sense of perspective sure. but movement oh, and like then nice. being near trees being near the and, and just disconnecting from the digital immediately drops my level of stress or anxiety down to a manageable level. I can go from being fairly wound up to being calm as a Hindu cow just with going for a 15-minute walk. So they're, they're pretty calm, those Hindu cows. They're pretty damn calm. <laughs> okay. um, they're like, nobody's going to eat me. <laughs> you'd <laughs> think not. <laughs> the question wrapped up in amongst that, that sure. sort of wandering, meandering statement is really when we're so stuck in our devices in this millennial generation are, when we're, we're working a career that takes 
three to five years to get anywhere near thinking, I got this. Mm -hmm. Are you worried by the future of the profession? And if you are, what advice can you give to the next generation coming along to help them engage and be happy and enjoy this career? Yeah. Okay. So... First, I'm going to call bullshit on the millennials are all this way because so many of the, I have so many millennials working with me and that I work with that are hospital owners work their fucking asses off. Right. You know, so there's a lot of that. But I think that there's, it's kind of a, we're having a problem with corporatization because the corporations are hiring people fresh out of school with big signing bonuses and then they ride them like fucking racehorses to get every inch they can out of them. Yep. They have, uh, they get a, oh shit, they get a you suck letter every week telling, and they, this is what they tell me. They get a you suck letter every week telling them how they fell from their standard, how they dropped below. They didn't get do enough injections. They didn't see enough appointments. They give this feeling that you're going to make this much money because they sign you for this. They give you $20,000, $5,000, depending on where you are, signing bonus. And then they give you this huge pro-sal salary. And then they make you, they just ride you like you're you're hag-ridden to pay for it, to pay for the salary that they've given you. Like Um, you're (laughs) hag-ridden. Well, you know, it's like... My wand is broken. (laughs) Um, And so... No wonder they're not happy because literally they get a letter every week telling them that they haven't done a good job. Yeah. And then they're expected, they're new grads. If you're not, if you're a new grad and you are not as slow as fuck, then what is wrong with you? You're not thinking enough. (laughs) You know, you're not, you're not like looking things up the way you should. Right. Um, You should be slower than me. Yeah. I should walk in the room and go, I know exactly what it is because I feel it in my pores because I'm 8,000 years old (laughs) and I know everything. But you should go in the room and go, where are you from? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with that. Let's build a relationship. Right. I mean, that's really where you should be when you first come out of school. You should take some time. It should be hard for you to write up your, your, um, the first month you're working somewhere. It should be hard for you to get your appointment done in 30 minutes. Yeah. And if you're expected to see 15 minute appointments, that's just, oh, well, I was going to say, like, you know, this whole 10, 15 minute appointment for new grads is, it's ridiculous. Shocking. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's not going to happen. Um, and so, that's a big part of the problem because now we have we have so many people graduating every year and they have to go somewhere and they're going to these corporate jobs and they're they're being wrung out like uh like rags and so that's i think a big part of why we think that they're in trouble how can a graduate help themselves in that first decision making i mean it's hard to ignore a 20 yeah. 30, i know i'm hearing this, this is coming to debt. an end however yeah um that this oh, really? this is not going oh. to be a thing well um first of all they should use the vin foundation's free uh service that tony bartels does he'll help them figure out their loans okay he's this like is... the man he's a doctor he knows more about loans than i know about horses and i know so much about horses <laughs> <laughs> And it's free. Okay. So he sh- they should do that. They should make sure they understand their loan repayment because that takes a lot of the pressure off. Yep. And then they should all come to work for me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, then they should make sure they spend some time at the practice, at least a week at the practice that they're thinking about going to join. Having done your externship or e- EMS, as we say in Europe, like that's what students should be thinking about, 100%. isn't it? It's like go places you might conceivably want to work and yeah. show up and show them a work ethic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not your knowledge of your yeah. smarts. And Nobody expects yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I always say, I'm going to hire you because I like you. And I can always teach you everything you need to know. I could teach probably a stump everything, they, not really. But I could teach you what you need to know. 
but you need to be a good person. You need to be willing to work hard, to ask questions, to be wrong. You have to be wrong. If you can't be wrong, then you can't be a doctor. You got to be coachable, don't you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So you, with your practices, how do you go about leading? So you you have, you're a single doctor. Yeah. You work with how many technicians do you have working with you? I have five people working with me. And they cover a, a range of roles, so they cover have you, have you CSRs as well? Everybody's reception? completely cross-trained. Yep. Four of my people have college degrees or bachelor's degrees. Two okay. of them are licensed. Yep. One of my team members is on the job trained, yep. high school degree. Yep. Um, all smart as fuck. I'm going to lose one of them to vet school. I'm going to do my best to write a really shitty letter. So she, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> That's massive kudos to you that, that you know people will, will go there, go oh. to vet school, and have that option i've like made the biggest mistake because i have like five vets out there that came and started working for me and i did not destroy their lives and they went (laughs) on and became vets (laughs) tell me what happened next like where are they now what sort of relationship do you have with them now so one of them i love this um sarah she's she's spectacular she was either gonna work in kind of like a organic grocery store or at my hospital as like a kennel person, you know, entry level. And so she started working at my hospital. She is now a board certified internal medicine doctor, Colorado State, smart as, she's like the stars. She's amazing. Yeah. And she was out for a wedding uh, like a year ago and we went to breakfast together. I love her. And every once in a while, I'll ask her to help me out with somebody who's having a hard time in residency. Right. Because, you know, you cannot know me without me tapping you. And making you do something for free. <laughs> but, I mean, but she's spectacular. I mean, and it was funny because she was, you know, right out of college when she came and was working for us. Yeah. And she had the strongest understanding of the importance of work-life balance. Yeah. And she would like not work 40 hours a week. I'm like, how do you do that? But she she figured it out. She made her lifestyle. And, you know, an, an entry-level person at an animal hospital – she wasn't making a lot of money, but she made good decisions so that she could handle her life. And then she figured out a way to go back and do her residency. And she understood that during her residency, she wouldn't have work-life balance. Yeah. And so she dug in. And I'm sure that it sucked. I'm sure it was really hard. I'm sure there are lots of sleepless nights. And, you know, I'm, I know they work really hard. But now she's got this whole thing. She's got this whole life. She and had a plan. Yeah, she had a plan. She had a plan and she was willing to take some suffering right now for future for payment. A payback yeah. then. So that wasn't instant gratification. That was very much delayed. Yeah. And she's young. Right. You know, she's one of those snowflakey girls. Let's talk about your work. This is a very interesting area. And uh, first question, I guess, is how did you get involved with Vin? Actually, I'm going to pull you back to a quote. Maybe this quote ties into the answer to this. But you. I have a quote on Twitter. Oh, I do? You do. <laughs> I was blinded by fear. Ugh. Don't be like me. Where did that quote come from? And then maybe that segues nicely into your work oh, with how okay, did you sure. end up working with Vin? Sure. So um, so I'm a Vin member. I pay my membership yep. every month. Yeah. Why don't you give it to me? I'm just kidding. I joined Vin in 2003 when I bought my hospital. Yep. I moved from a very... I've, I've always practiced at multi-doctor, high-quality practices, San Francisco. Um, so I moved to Tahoe, bought the practice, and I was by myself. After a couple of years, I hired an associate who was spectacular. She's now in Colorado, and she was great. She was uh, she was an amazing partner. The economy got really bad, 
and her husband had a hard time. He has an anthropology major, uh, had a degree in anthropology. And surprisingly enough, there wasn't a job for him in Tahoe. <laughs> and the economy was really bad. And yep. he got a great job in Colorado. So they moved to Colorado right before high season. So in my world, I make 70% of my money between yep. June and September. Right. And so I lost her right before high season. Oh. And we were a two-doctor practice. We took emergency till 10 every day. Yep. And we were we were killing it. I mean, and then that happened. And the economy was bad. And so I worked her schedule and my schedule for about a year, taking emergency till 10 every yeah. day. That's brutal. Uh, it was horrible. Um, and the economy was terrible and we had two businesses at the time. And so we were hemorrhaging money. We lost all of our money just kind of trying to keep things going. And we were behind on our vendors. We lost, we used up, we didn't lose money. We used it all up trying to keep yep. things going. I was paying my staff and yep. keeping my two bills because I don't own either of the buildings, paying the rent and all the things. Yep. And we had no money and like people were calling and it was horrible. Right. And I don't. I didn't know anybody to call. I didn't know what to do. I, all I knew what to do was to work harder. That's right. all I could think right, of. Right. Um, so Spin I was working harder. Faster. Yeah. And so I was, I would not turn down anything. I would work every day and it was devastating. It was terrible for my marriage. I had my daughter. She was like, I think 16 at the time and I was never with her because I was working. So right around that time, our lease uh, was going to come due at the hospital. So I moved my hospital into my boarding facility. I got YouTube videos. I put up drywall. I remodeled the inside of the upstairs of our building. And then I begged my mom, who I have a terrible relationship with, for some for a loan. And we hired somebody to do the legal stuff downstairs. Yep. And we moved our hospital into our boarding facility. Was there a pivotal moment where you, you know, you're spinning your wheels, you're working harder? Was there a moment where you just went, this has got to change? I did every, like, I wasn't sleeping. My husband wasn't sleeping. Um, it was terrible. And I, all I could do is say, I'm going to work harder and smarter. I'm going to keep doing it. But it wasn't working for yep. me. And right at that same time, um, somebody on Van, one of our colleagues, killed herself. And we were all talking about it. And it was pretty upsetting. And Paul, who runs Van, said, anybody that wants to come out to Davis and talk about it, come on out. So I drove over and he flew a bunch of people out and we all sat in a room and I said, look, it's hard and I don't have anybody to talk to about it. We need people to talk to you about these things. He goes, well, why don't you start a program? I'm like, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> like, you fucker. So, so, so we started did. Vets for Vets and yep. that's where it started because yep. there was nobody that I could talk to about it. I can't go down the street to the guy that, you know, probably struggling just as hard as I am that we're competing against and make, say, make hey, sure yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a mess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's where Vets for Vets, for Vets started. It started from my very, very, very long dark night of the soul. Yeah, and wow. um, now when people feel like that, they can call me. I go, oh, fuck, man, that sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, I was there and we can get through it. Let's look at your numbers. Let me find somebody that's good at business and let me have him talk to you or her talk to you. Yeah. We have people that have been through bankruptcy that I hook up with somebody who's going through bankruptcy. She's been through it. She's having a wonderful life. Life goes on. You help people build their own little wolf pack. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what we're doing. And that's where it came from. You're probably saving lives doing it. Yeah. It turns out that way. I feel like, I don't feel like we save lives. I feel like people save their own lives. Agreed. All right. That is amazing just to hear. And I'm so glad. We're going to link up. So in the show notes, 
giving us the number to call if you ever need to call that. I'm going to link up in the show notes. I'm super grateful for your time and I want to be respectful of that. And we're, we're getting into the evening now and I'm sure you've got to go with your fine husband who supplied us with this <laughs> lovely wine. Go have dinner with him. But before we do that, um, we're going to get into our short form questions. All right. Okay, now you can give whatever length answers you want to Do I need, need to put my running shoes on? <laughs> no one's ever gone running from these so far. So <laughs> let me, like, let's just whiz through the options here. So if you could change one thing uh, more than anything else in veterinary medicine, what, what would that thing be? Like for our profession? Yeah. I would somehow let everybody know they're enough. Good enough. You know, it's practice. It's called practice of medicine. We're learning every day. You're enough. You're doing great. I would let everybody recognize that we're human and we're doing our best and that's good enough. That is also, I feel like there's a sliding curve on that as well. It doesn't matter what stage in your career you're at, does there? No. Stop comparing yourself. And it's these things again, isn't it? Right. Your life compared to someone who has a million more followers than right. you and has Instagram right. filters on is right. not a fair comparison, is Quit it? comparing your blooper reel to everybody else's <laughs> highlight reel, 100%. I love that. Um, I, honestly, so many times I talk to new grads and they're saying, oh, I feel terrible because I have to look everything up. I'm like, dude, I know everything and I look everything up. That's how I know everything because I don't know anything actually. I'm looking everything up. Every time I get a new case of Addison's, I look it up and I go, what's new? What's right. the, what's the latest research? Right. You know, what are people using? What's working? What's not working? Don't fall victim to the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? And believe your own bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. You don't know everything. If you know everything, then get out of here. Right, <laughs> right. If you know everything, you definitely know Don't know nothing. shit. If that's your film. We've talked about a lot of things that are challenging from your life and from veterinary medicine, what, what thing are you grappling with? Or not necessarily a problem, but what, what, have you got a meaty project on the go just now? And, oh, yeah. And why does that matter? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, you know, every year I do something new. This year, my veterinary medicine thing that I'm doing, is really a vets for vets thing. I'm working with Dr. Eric Gentry. We're going to, we're writing a workbook for veterinarians and veterinary support team members, the all of our crew, so that, you don't have to go to a seminar. You can sit down and do your workbook and you can kind of work on that on your own. I think it's really important that people be able to heal themselves. Right. So it's a workbook on compassion fatigue yeah. and dealing with that. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you have a title yet? Or you're not allowed no, to I say have, like, No, I just like, I had to finish. This has been a really big year for me with all of the going, speaking at the Fetch conferences and I joined a VMG, a veterinary study yep. group. Yep. Um, and so it's been like busy. And then I just sent one of my horses to Florida. So like it's all been a lot so this is for next year next year i'm gonna be rolling that bad boy out so i'm super excited about that because it makes it cost effective i mean it's it's inexpensive you can do it on your own time it's something that you can use it's a tool that you can use to build your life in a stronger way all right you make sure and send me a copy and we can review that all right that'd be awesome Um, so these are my favorite questions these two okay what's the best piece of advice you've either given or received i think the the best piece of advice that I've received was that it's you absolutely must take up space in your life. You must fill your life up. You have to take up space. You have to matter to you. You have to say, we don't take up enough space in our own lives. What's your dream? What's your fucking dream? Why are you getting up? What wakes you wake up in the morning? Every morning, like I'm so stoked to wake up. And I love sleeping, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, it's because 
I don't do anything I don't want to do. That you know, all those years of therapy, that therapist, what she taught me is never do anything you don't want to do. Then you say, I'll never do the dishes. I promise you, when all your dishes are caked with shit in the sink, you're gonna want to do the dishes. Never do anything you don't want to do. Yeah. I only do things I want to do. How do we create a life? This is getting right back off the short form questions, but (laughs) now you're going to one of my favorite topics. So let me chuck this one at you, all right? We go to vet school, right? And we want to go to vet school. And we we decide as little kiddies, we want to be vets. So then we've got purpose we've got clarity we've got a mission sure. to get to vet school and right. we we move heaven and earth we bust our butts we scrape crap out of you know yeah. dung and horse yeah. yards and we you know we end up going to we we, we spend time on pig farms so that sure. even after six scrub downs with carbots, are so, so cute. They are. <laughs> we come back and we smell so bad that oh, even yeah. after being in the shower six times our family make us eat in a separate room sure. but boy we're, we're happy and we're magnificent yeah. we achieved it and we've gotten there and then when we got in vet school, we got another goal. And that was to get the hell back out of vet school right. with a degree. Sure. And so again, we go to work and we work hard and we do more study than any of the other lazy sods that are at university. Uh-huh. And and we achieve and we get to the other side. And then suddenly the, the thing changes. And, and we had really super laser focused goals. And then we get to the other side. Our goal changes from that to survival. Sure. And that's surely a grind without end. And there's no, there's no focus to that. How does Dr. Bree, like, how do you, do you have advice for us in discovery of purpose? Because that's really what we're talking yeah. about there. One hundred, yeah, yeah, okay. So be here now. Be here now. Whatever you're doing, you need to understand that, um, well, for me, because um, I can only speak for myself, I love what I do. I owe more money to the bank than probably, I don't want to know, um, and because I own, I own this million-dollar practice. Um, I just bought a brand-new, awesome digital radiograph machine, you know, about DR. It's beautiful. DR is so good. It's so great. I had CR before, and I thought that was great, but yeah. it is like poop um, oh, compared DR to DR. Is so it's so amazing. <laughs> I mean, you could see what the dog's thinking with DR. So, you know, expensive, right? And my hospital's in Tahoe, yep. which is expensive. Yep. So I don't. Think about that. I'm making ends. I'm making, you know, my nut. I yep. go out and I make my nut. And if I want to focus on the bad things in life, like what I owe, sure, that's going to fuck me up. So what I do is I love every day and I make sure that my life makes sense for me. I ride my horse four times a week. And sometimes I don't because there's an emergency, right? But I'm right. happy to see the emergency. I honestly believe that I only do what I want to do. So when I'm there on a Sunday, it's there. I'm there because I want to be there. Right. And so you need to recognize that what we do is spectacular. How blessed are we to be able to do it? I'm not a gaudy guy, so I still feel blessed. Um, but um, when I'm working as hard as I work, and I work really hard, I work a lot of hours, and I do a lot of time for my vets for vet stuff, it's all because I love it. It's just as valuable to me as as hiking with my huskies. It's just as valuable to me as being with my horses and, and learning how to be terrible at riding them. So I think that's the thing. You need to focus on what you're doing right now. Quit worrying about the other stuff. If you do what you love and you do it the best you can, you will succeed. And remember, it takes 10 years to do anything right. It's going to take 10 years to get anywhere stable. So stop expecting to be able to pay your loans the first year out. It takes 10 years to do anything. All right. That actually sounds like you've just morphed into the best advice you ever gave, which is great. So that gets me back on point as to, well, so what was the worst piece of advice you ever gave or received? Well, I guess 
the most painful advice was a tax person telling me I wasn't going to make what I said I was going to make. And so he didn't have me put aside the money. And then I had a huge tax bill and a fine. So you know who you are. And when you tell somebody who you are, if they don't listen to you, fucking go find somebody else and tell them. That was like, that was a huge mistake. I lost a lot of money on that. The worst advice I've ever given Oh, I don't know. Probably tons, tons and tons and tons and tons. And my successful plan for life is to not remember any of them. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I feel like there's this, you know. Have another cat- drink. That was bad have advice. An- <laughs> have another drink. Have what a- could go wrong? Have tequila and do a podcast. Yeah. There you go. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? We are near some very large plate glass windows. I'm fairly <laughs> sure lots could go wrong with that. So tell me about like a book that perhaps was, you know, you sound like you read and you're, uh, you, yeah. you learn a lot. What, what was the most impactful book or most impactful recent book that uh, you've read? So one of the most impactful books that I've read, which kind of might not make sense, it was one of Denny Meyer's books. Okay. Denny Meyer's is a super successful restaurateur in New York. Mm-hmm. He owns Gramercy Grill, I think. He's, it was all these like fancy, amazingly successful. His book was spectacular. I really enjoyed reading it because he talked about empowering teams. And he talked about it from his experience. I worked my whole way through vet school. So I did a lot of, I was a cocktail waitress and and I was a busser and all those things. So the restaurant business is exactly like veterinary medicine. It is a shit show just like our business, our our hospitals are. And it was just really impactful to me. I really enjoyed uh, that book. It was, it empowered me with the feeling that, we own our business. We need to make our business about what about serving our clients and serving our patients, and we need to do it in a way that's respectful of ourselves. Like, for example, they would say uh, something simple: when somebody wants something, needs something, you don't say no problem. You say, "Oh, absolutely, my pleasure." You know, I'm and when when I'm on a Sunday, I'm seeing an emergency, and they thank me for being there. I don't say no problem. I say, "I'm happy to be here for you." I'm happy to be here for you. It reinforces to me that I'm happy to be there. And uh, it reinforces to them that I'm happy to be there on a Sunday for them. It's like it puts it in my subconscious. I love that. When I moved to Sydney, I noticed one of the things that when you said something to, you know, you said thank you for doing something to an Australian, they would go, no worries, mate. Too easy. (laughs) Oh, uh, nice. I think too easy, mate. And I'm like, Okay, I'll it, think of something harder. Oh, right, <laughs> right. But it was—it was—it was, it yeah, was it's also like that, right? really nice. It's like yeah. it's too easy, you know. Yeah. Anytime. It was—it was nice. It makes you feel like welcome to. It. When I was young, somebody shared with me that the best way to get somebody to like you is to have them do something for you. Huh. Which I'm not very good at letting people do things for me, but yeah. apparently that's like a real thing. I could see that because we work in service. You always feel like you're trying to do stuff for other yeah. people. You know, on the on the too easy thing, when I came to America and I say I, I hired um wonderful, wonderful person. You're wonderful, you know who I'm talking about <laughs> in Sydney. American uh Lassie and she she worked and I would say to her and I, I teased her about this as well, I would thank her for doing something and she'd go, Mm-hmm and turn around and walk away. <laughs> I thought, wait, did I did, did I, I just piss really her off? You? <laughs> did I piss her off? And so I, I challenged her and I went, yeah. So what's, what's the deal with this? And and she would go, What do you mean? And I'm like, Well, like if you did that, I make I did I annoy you? Did I say yeah. she said, No, totally not. And I'm like, Huh. Oh, is so that what she say? And she said, Oh, that's just what we say and and she's from Florida. Oh, anyway, oh, so oh, I start I started oh, visiting across okay. here and I uh-huh. would I would go and say something and say thank you and they go, Uh huh. And then, so it's a thing here. I guess so. 
I guess so. We can't say you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I as like um, lots of people are way more, and that's not being impolite. That was just a cultural right, difference. Right, 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 right. So, no, right. But, but that's but it was what I would say if I was me. like pissed at someone. Well, I do CrossFit, and yeah. so this guy was a real jackhole at yeah. the workout, and later he apologized, which is worth nothing because he was a jackhole in the moment, and that was his choice. And so I went, uh huh. <laughs> There was a difference to your uh-huh, uh-huh. Than, than, than mine there, for sure. <laughs> Brie, this has been so much fun. It has the been fun. time has gone so quickly. Um, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing uh, with Vets for Vets and for sharing your story with us here on Blunt Dissection. Your energy, your enthusiasm, your passion for what you do and for the profession at large is inspiring awesome and uh, like i know it's just helping so many people so it's a real privilege for me to speak to you thank you for coming on super fun to do this thank you so much i love what i do so much i want everybody to have the same opportunity to have so much fun every day if people want to hear learn more from you directly where's the best place to do that is it instagram easy. or is um, it email shoot or? me an email uh vets for vets so v-e-t-s number four vets at vinfoundation.org all one word vets for vets at vinfoundation.org and i answer my emails within 24 hours all right i'm on it and also i think you should follow brie on instagram because she's got the best huskies running in snow pictures <laughs> i've seen they're brilliant they're Brilliant. spectacular. I love my huskies. They're so naughty. <laughs> Thank right. you, Bree. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Happy to be here. Thank you. So, guys, just me jumping back to say cheerio before you jump off into your day. Thank you, all of you, for listening. And thank you for posting such lovely comments on the iTunes platform, emailing me, hit me on Instagram. I read them all, and it really is fantastic to hear from you. It's wonderful to know that this show seems to be making a difference. So thank you for listening. Thank you also to Dr. Bree Montana. Wasn't she amazing? Shout her out on social. And please, if you get the chance to check out Vetex Leaders, do so. I know it's going to make a difference for you if you're running a vet team. Together, we can change veterinary medicine for the good. So, until our next episode, please be safe, be well, be happy. Dr. Dave, out. Out.